starting a new series called Defining Moments. There are some moments in your life uh, that maybe don't really matter. There's been some things that maybe you thought were significant, but looking back, were really no big deal. For me, it was when in seventh grade, this girl named Angie broke up with me. I know. After my birthday party. After dancing to boys to men. I don't even know how that happens, but in the moment, as a seventh grader, it felt like a defining moment to me. But it wasn't. But there are some of those moments in your life that are defining moments. That the moment I finally got up the courage uh, to call Heather and ask her to go to homecoming with me. That was a defining moment in our lives. That the moment that we go to homecoming and then we move on. And then I, I stood back here and I married Heather uh, almost 17 years ago. That was a defining moment. Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Defining moment in our life. Right? It was, it, was, it was great. I mean, there were those moments that didn't go great in the ceremony. Our unity candle never lit, so I'm not sure we're officially married. Uh, but it never, it never lit. Uh, but that was a, a pivotal moment in our lives. That the moment I brought Kennedy home for the first time, and, and the responsibility of another person is in your hands. That was a defining moment. The moment that we decided to to move from California back home, and that was a defining moment. Or the winter of 1994, when my parents were separated, and my friend Jeremy and Brad invited me to go to a winter church camp. The first time ever experiencing anything that had to do with God. Defining moment in my life. Which means, as a defining moment, it changes the trajectory of your life. It changes your life significantly. What, what are yours? If you think in your mind, well, what are some of those defining moments that your life is not the same because that happened? And, and we could go to the really good things. Like maybe that's the first thing you begin to think about or all those great things that have happened in your life and those are your defining moments. But if we're honest, there's also some of those things that aren't so great. The, the, the suffering you've experienced, the hard times, the disappointments, the loss, that those are defining moments as well. So we're going to take a look at the 40 days that Jesus lived after the resurrection. So we celebrated last week that, that Jesus goes to a cross and he gives up his life for us, we believe. Um, that we have forgiveness and he defeated all of those things. Darkness and sin, he defeated those uh, by, by coming out of the graves. Right? We, we, we celebrate that. But he comes back. and He doesn't just come out of the grave and go into heaven. He spends time with people. Uh, they say that it was about 500 people that Jesus would have interacted with in about 12 occasions. And we're going to look at a few of these because I believe these were defining moments for those people. But I also think that they're defining moments for us. If we look at what he did, what he said, how he interacted with people, the call he put on his disciples' lives. They are defining moments, not just for them, but also for us. And so if you think, man, 40 days, all he has, he's going to make some significant impacts on people. He, he doesn't have a lot of time, and so the things he does is extremely important. And so we're going to look at one today that has been meaningful in my life. Um, one that may be familiar to you, and I would guess, even if church isn't your thing, maybe, maybe 
uh, you're not used to this, maybe you haven't read much of the Bible, you may have even heard about this guy uh, because he kind of has been given a nickname. You know, we've been blessed in St. Louis with some great uh, baseball players, but also some great nicknames. So we have Ozzy Smith, uh, the wizard, the whiz, whatever you would want to call. So we have a, a great picture of, of Ozzy up here. Yep, there it is. Yeah, uh, one of the greatest. And then maybe the greatest, if you uh, see this picture, you may know who, uh, who this guy is. Yeah, Stan the Man, right? I don't know if there's a better nickname. Is there anything better than being the man? Right, so we, we have some great nicknames. This guy's nickname, maybe not so great. Uh, we're going to look at a guy named Thomas who is given the nickname Doubting Thomas. Um, and this guy was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he saw the miracles of Jesus. He heard the teachings of Jesus. He walked alongside of him. A saying they would have had is he would have been covered in the dust of Jesus. So everywhere Jesus would have walked, Thomas would have been right behind him catching the dust that would have been kicked up. Thomas was with Jesus. He saw him be arrested, probably from a distance, saw him be beaten and taken to a cross. But there was this moment as most of the disciples did, where they flee as Jesus goes to the cross. And so just before this story we're going to look at in John 20, uh, we see that Jesus makes an appearance to his disciples. But Thomas isn't with the other disciples. And so he misses out on this encounter with the risen Jesus. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if Thomas was at a point where he was just ashamed of walking away from Jesus. Uh, maybe he was overcome with not knowing what's next, but for some reason, Thomas is the only one that isn't with the disciples. But then something happens. We're going to read this, John 20, verse 24. And if you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you somewhere. Please take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, the page number on the screen will be for that Bible. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to teach uh, the, the scripture that will be on the slide just briefly. And then we're going to look at some significant things for our, our lives. Verse 24, it says this. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He says, look, I, I, it's great that you've experienced that, but for myself, I just don't believe it, and I can't believe it. Not until I experience it for myself. You've probably had those moments in life. You hear people talk about things. People can prepare you to have kids, but until you have kids, it doesn't really matter what someone tells you. Uh, I do premarital counseling, and I tell them, look, this is going to be good for you, but let's meet again in six months after you're married, and we'll talk about real-life experiences, right? There's some things you just need to experience for yourself. And Thomas is at a point where he says, I'm glad that you got to see Jesus, but I can't believe that he is risen until I see it for myself. Not until I have not only seen him, but touched him. And not only touched him, but if you know the story— Jesus has nails put into his hands, to his feet, and then he is uh, stabbed in the, the side. And Thomas says, I don't want to just see him, but I want to put my, whole, my hand into those holes. Verse 26. Th this phrase is powerful. It says, a week later, 
His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. A week. A week. He finds out that Jesus is alive. And for a week, nothing happens. For a week, nothing changes. I, I can't b- begin to even understand how difficult that week probably was. Right? He's living off the experience of the other disciples, right? I can only imagine those disciples uh, just in the moment are like, man, remember when we saw Jesus alive? Oh, sorry, Thomas, I know you didn't get to see him yet, but there are these moments where there's this celebration because they have experienced something, but not Thomas. Thomas sits in waiting. I'll spend a little more time. I think this statement is significant for us, um, and I'll, I'll talk about in a in a moment, but, but I just wonder if when Jesus doubted in that week, as he struggled and he wanted to maybe even walk away and, and leave the other disciples, maybe they got them, him through it. Maybe it was the experience of the other disciples who told Thomas, just hold on. Just hold on. It says, through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. (laughs) If I'm Thomas, uh, I'm in a room, doors locked, and Jesus appears. That's good for me. Uh, I no longer, I know I said I needed to feel the holes, but I think for me, I'm I'm good. I've I've seen Jesus, uh, but Jesus knows what Thomas needed. He knew the heart of Thomas. He wasn't mad at Thomas. He wasn't angry because Thomas questioned. He says, go ahead. This is what you needed. Do it. I know the questions you had. I know what you needed to experience. I want to give you that opportunity. And it is after receiving that opportunity that Jesus then says to stop doubting and believe. Jesus doesn't enter the room angry at Thomas, telling him, why are you doubting? No, he, he comes in and knows what Thomas needs, and he gives him what he needs. He confronts his doubts and then says, don't doubt anymore. And Thomas said to him, verse 28, my Lord and my God. Thomas makes this bold statement. Uh, Thomas says, you are the ruler of my life. You are the king of my heart. I will follow you. And not only that, but you are who you said you are. You are God. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I want to do a few things. I first want to start by saying everyone doubts. Everyone doubts. There have been some seasons in my life where I have had deep doubts about God. And and this isn't when I first started hearing about God or learning about Jesus as a teenager. This is doubts even when I became a pastor. Uh, These are doubts over the last five years, ten years. There, There are some things I don't understand. There are some things I don't get. And I have doubted and wondered. We doubt We are human, the great Billy Graham said. Doubts are a normal part of life. We doubt things on earth, so it's easy to doubt the things of God. 
And I don't think it matters if you're a young Christian or if you're an old Christian, if you feel like you're an experienced Christian, if you've read the Bible through and through several times, I think doubt comes into our hearts and our minds no matter what our background looks like. However, I think most people have not given permission or the opportunity to work through their doubts. I think we have stiff-armed people when they've wondered or doubted or had questions. Uh, An author, Philip Yancey, he says this, the church has sometimes chastised people who admit their weaknesses and failure, and our society has had an aversion to suffering. So Christians naturally tend to hide behind the thin veneer of cheerfulness and health while they secretly hurt and doubt. We've not been given permission to say, I just don't know about that. We've not been given permission to say, I have some doubts when it comes to God. We have hushed them, we have pushed them back in our minds and have shoved it down into the depths of our souls. And we begin to believe that our faith is just simply blind. That maybe someone has just simply said to you, you just have to believe. Or we have believed that enemy, that doubt is the enemy of belief. Or that if you have doubts, you'll eventually be faithless. Uh, Barna is an organization, a group that does a lot of research. And they've done a lot of research on young adults, on young people. And, and if you don't know this, uh, we haven't experienced it as much here at Trinity. We, we still have um, quite a few students and young people and young married and babies, as you have seen. Um, but for the most part, young people are fleeing the church. And that's not to say that maybe uh, your child, your young adult has not. Um, but, but we have seen a lot of young people here. But Barna Research in the last 10 years says this. They've determined several reasons why young people aren't interested in the church. Not talking about their interest in Jesus, the church, the local group of people. One of the six things they have determined is that young people are leaving the church because it is, because it is unfriendly to doubters. It says, they've said, these are quotes, that they have said there's no space to say, I don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Or that sometimes Christianity doesn't make sense. Or they had nowhere to wrestle with the hard questions. Is God really good? Or how do we deal with the bad things and the suffering, sufferings that take place to good, faithful Christians? Or what do we do with tragedies? 25% of young people, and these are thousands and thousands of young people who are interviewed, said 25% of those surveys said they have a deep, significant intellectual doubt about their faith and had nowhere to go with it. But this is what I think. I don't think this is new. I think even if you're older, there have been some seasons in your life where you have doubted, where you have wondered, and you didn't have permission either. And what you have learned to do is just to push it away. And so what happens is difficult things come up. Tragedies happen. You talk to someone who is intellectual and you begin to wonder what you are to do with the doubts that you have. Because we have not been given permission or space to deal with our doubts. However, if you read the scriptures, it is full of people who doubted. The Psalms, if you read the Psalms, it is full of statements of how long, O God? Are you going to forget me forever? 
right? There are these real honest prayers in the Psalms of doubt, of struggle, of not knowing what is next. Or in Job, or Lamentations, the writers of those books and those stories are full of doubts and questions and concerns. And guess what? They're still in the Bible. They were still used by God. Philip Yancey, the author I quoted a minute ago, he says that God seems rather doubt-tolerant. That, that God isn't afraid of our doubts or angry when we struggle with things. As we talk about and think about the subject of doubt, I think it functions either as an anchor or as an engine. And, and what I mean by that, it's how you deal with your doubts. Uh, when I was a teenager, my father, and I, my father and I would go deep sea fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. And I remember a few times when we went, we would go out into the Gulf and they would tie onto an oil rig. And, and the, the water would be rough, but they were trying to stay in one place. And the water was rough, and every time the wave would hit and the rope would become tight, the, the boat would go up and down. And I can remember as a, as a young boy, after enjoying a Snickers and a soda, uh, <laughs> yeah, getting extremely sick. Because the, the purpose of a boat in those conditions is really to be able to move, Right? To be able to move with the waves and to move when things change. But, but the oil rig worked as an anchor and kept us where we were. And it didn't work out well for us. Or if you see it as an engine and able to navigate. To be able to move and to figure out what it looks like to doubt in a healthy way. And so my goal and my hope for us is that we'll see doubt as something that will actually propel us. That maybe it would actually propel us into a deeper faith. There's a, a pastor author named Tim Keller. Uh, he does a lot of work up in Manhattan, and he is, I think, one of the greatest voices for skeptics, uh, people who doubt. Um, and he says uh, this, dishonest doubts are dismissive. What a crazy idea. Then they walk away without seriously considering the points made. It's an assertion rather than an argument. It means, it's a means of avoiding the hard work of thinking. But honest doubts are humble because they lead you to ask questions. You become vulnerable and open to belief and change. The, dinis, the dishonest doubt says, I don't care to even try or know. Honest doubt says, I don't know, but I'm willing to seek answers. I also think that dishonest doubts are often excuses to do what we want to do. We'll say that we have doubts maybe just because we want to do something that goes against what God would have for us or want for us. It's permission to live as we want to live by simply saying that we have doubts. But honest doubt says, this is hard. I don't get it, but I want to. And so what can we learn from Thomas? Uh, there's a few things I think we can learn from his life and his interaction with Jesus. This defining moment for Thomas and I hope is a defining moment for some of you. Um, but one of these points, I think, are going to lead us to a defining moment for us as a, as a church. Uh, the first thing that I think we need to be encouraged to do, and, and hopefully you've caught this theme over the last few moments, and that is that we just have to be honest. Thomas doesn't hold back. The other disciples experience Jesus, and he's just honest in the moment. I can't believe. 
I can't believe until I experience it for myself. I read this week in study, his nickname shouldn't be Doubting Thomas, but Honest Thomas. He gets to a point where he's just honest with the other disciples. Because as I said before, when we push things aside and we pretend to believe, it really won't do anything for the doubt that we're experiencing. Just because we pretend to not have doubts doesn't mean that we don't doubt. It doesn't mean that it will simply quit growing because you pretend it doesn't exist. It's important to begin to understand that doubt is normal. It's normal. Pope Francis said this, Who among us, everybody, everybody, who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on the journey of faith? He told the crowd at a general audience, everyone, we've all experienced this. Me too. It is a part of the journey of faith. It is a part of our lives. This should not surprise us because we are human beings marked by fragility and limitations. We're all weak and we have limits. Do not panic. We all have them. Or Mother Teresa. I mean, Mother Teresa couldn't doubt, right? I mean, the life that Mother Teresa lived, she said this. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. Such deep longing for God and repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Saving souls holds no attraction. Heaven means nothing. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. That is honesty. It wasn't that Mother Teresa walked away. It wasn't that Mother Teresa didn't have faith. She was just honest about where she was at in life. And in her experiences, I can imagine the darkness that she experienced. So we're honest. We're honest with our doubts. But here's the key. We we don't just stay in that place of doubt. Right? Thomas made it clear. I want to believe. I want to believe. I just need to see Jesus myself. I, I need to feel Jesus. And so the second thing we do is we seek answers. We see that Thomas expresses his doubt, but his doubt is followed up with the desire to find out for himself. And this isn't the first time that we hear Thomas ask a question. We actually don't know a lot about Thomas. Uh, We don't know a lot about his life. There's a few things that happen, uh, but, but one of Thomas's questions leads to one of the most significant answers in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus is telling his disciples not to be troubled, to trust in him. He, he talks about going away, and he's going to prepare a place uh, for his followers, that there's all these rooms in his father's house. And then he, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas, I get this picture in the crowd, like Thomas raising his hand to, to Jesus and saying, uh, we, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Right? It would have been easy in that moment, and maybe the other disciples did, where they're like, we have no idea what Jesus is talking about, but we're going to shake our heads and just believe. But Thomas says, hey, I I don't know. I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how to get there. And Jesus makes the statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. One of maybe the most quoted scriptures that we have. 
it comes from Thomas seeking answers. See, Jesus wasn't afraid of the questions. I actually think that seeking answers can actually be the catalyst that propels us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of the doubts that you have. I think it can lead to breakthrough in our life. One more quote, Pastor Tim Keller, he said this, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. There's an opportunity that, that our doubts actually will propel us. And so if not, if we don't do it, we'll find ourselves drowning in our doubts. So if you deal with your doubts in an honest way, if you seek answers, what could happen to your faith, even if it's very small? And I know that not everyone in this room right now would even say, look, I, don't, I believe in God or you're a follower of Jesus, but, but maybe there is just something small in you. What, what would happen if you just began to say, all right, God, would you just begin to show me some answers? Would you begin to just speak to me? And then the third thing, and this is the hard one, and, and I want to always be honest with you, is sometimes they're not going to be answered. And so the third, the third thing we have to do is we have to be okay with the mysterious. We have to be okay when we don't find answers and we don't know the answers to our doubts. But here's how I want to encourage you. The moment you have all the answers is the moment you realize that you have made God in your own image and that that God is too small. The moment you begin to know everything there is about God is the moment you have created him in your image, what you want God to look like, and that God is way too small for you and way too small for me. There's a guy who is healed. He's a blind uh, man, and he's healed by Jesus and the, the people didn't like Jesus, and they didn't like that he was healing people and what he was doing. And so they come to the blind guy, and they're asking him all these questions, and they want to know who did it. And they're asking him if they think that, that Jesus is a sinner, and, and he's, they're, they're trying to get him to say something. And he just replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I don't have all the answers. I just know my life looks different because I've encountered Jesus. I, I don't know. So I, I've never, I don't know if I've ever done this as a pastor, and I don't know if I've ever done this with you, uh, but I just want you to say something, okay? Uh, I want you to simply say, I don't know, okay? So hold on. Uh, this may be one of the most significant things you can do as a follower of Jesus. And I, and I mean that sincerely, is to say, I don't know. So on the count of three, I want you to say, I don't know. One, two, three. That's good. Let's do it one more time. One, two, three. That is so helpful to people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. If they think that followers of Jesus have to know it all and have to understand it all, they might be hesitant to want to follow Jesus. But if they're in an honest relationship with someone who says, look, I don't know. When tough questions are asked, I don't know. I don't know, but, but could we just seek answers together? Could we maybe walk through this with one another? 
It doesn't mean that you're faithless or weak or dumb or not saved or unloved by God. It means you've experienced God's goodness, but you're unable to explain it completely and to understand it fully, and that's okay. You can believe, you can accept his forgiveness, you can follow Jesus and even be used by him, even if you don't have it all figured out. It doesn't disqualify you if you doubt. The fourth and final thing is that we stay connected. We stay connected. As I said earlier, I don't know what happens to Thomas. Uh, Thomas goes off on his own. Uh, He's kind of abandoned Jesus, and now he's abandoned the other disciples. He isn't connected to them, and he misses out on experiencing Jesus the first time. And I don't know, I don't know why. But before long, those disciples, they find Thomas. And they get together, and they stay together. He stays with them, but more importantly, they stay with him. Right? In the midst of Thomas's doubts, there's a group of people who stay with him. They don't give up on him. When Thomas says, I just don't know if I can believe, they don't excommunicate him. They don't send him on his way, but they stay together. What if he would have left again? What if the disciples would have pushed him out in the midst of his doubt? I want to be a church that says, I don't know. It's okay if you don't know. Let's figure it out together. I don't want to be a part of a church that's a part of that statistic where young people and young adults or older adults say, I don't feel like there was space for me to doubt. In Jude one twenty two, it actually says, be merciful to those who doubt. Don't condemn, don't push away, don't judge, but be merciful to them. And so we want to walk with people as they doubt. Uh, There's this idea, I didn't grow up in church, and so I have different experiences than maybe some of you, Uh, but you may have grown up in the church, and there was this idea that you had to believe first. If you were going to walk into a building, a church building, there was this thought that you should probably believe even before you walked in. And then not only should you believe a certain thing, but there should be a behavement, a way that you behave. Right? Only if you behave a certain way could you then come and belong. So you believe, and then you behave, and then you could belong. And, and, and this isn't simply my idea or what we're doing. I, I hope and think that there's many churches who are kind of reversing that. Right? And we say that around here, that this is a place where you can come and belong even before you believe. That this has to be a safe place where you can come and wrestle and doubt and struggle and where no one is going to push you away. But that we'll just figure it out together because no one in this room has it all figured out. I promise. We don't. And so let's figure it out together. There's chances for you to do that. There's an early morning Bible study on Thursdays for guys. Wednesday nights, there's a group of people who get together Fridays, Sunday mornings. There are people who are getting together and reading scriptures and figuring it out with one another what it looks like to understand it and to put it into our lives. And maybe you need to start something. Maybe you need to invite some other people and just say, hey, we don't have to organize this. We don't have to promote this, but, but could we just get together and wrestle with what the scriptures mean? And then 
comment that, that Jesus makes to Thomas in the end is, you've seen me, and you believe because you've seen me, but then there's us who are going to believe who have never seen. And there's a blessing in that. I think God will help us through that. That although we don't walk with, touch, or see Jesus in the flesh, God will help us through that. Greg's going to come up and uh, we're going to sing our, our last song together. And I just want to invite you, may, maybe today is one of those days where you say, man, I have some doubts. It's kept me from even just saying that I put my faith in him. Maybe it's been hard to accept that God loves you that there's forgiveness for you, no matter where you've been, no matter what your experiences right now look like. And maybe today would be that day where you could just simply say, look, I don't have it all figured out, but I want to receive that God loves me and that forgiveness is available to me. You don't have to have all the knowledge to do that. You can just simply say, I want to believe in that for my life. And then you begin to just step-by-step journey with God, but not alone. We do this together. Would you stand with me as I pray for us? And we'll sing together. Father, I'm so thankful for your kindness, for your patience with us, that we can be honest and we don't have to be afraid of our doubts, that when we see you as our good Father, you want to help us, that you don't walk away from us. I'm thankful for the honesty of Thomas. That Thomas have the boldness and the courage to say, I want to see it for myself. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you responded to him, and I'm thankful that you respond to us. Would you begin to help us be honest, to wrestle with those doubts and not to be afraid of those? And would those propel us into a deeper relationship with you? God, I pray for my friends today who have experienced great suffering. who their hurts and their pains and the moments in their life has caused them to doubt. I pray that they would see you as a loving father who is near to us, who will walk with us as we wrestle with those things and we question. God, would you help us to be okay with the mystery of who you are, that you are big enough for what we need. So God, would you give us more grace today, more love pray for my friends today who would make that decision to say, I don't have it all figured out, but I want to know that I'm deeply loved and forgiven. Would you walk with me through that? Would you help us to be a church who says it's okay to not be okay? Who says it's okay to say, I don't know, and then we'll figure it out together. Would you help us to, to do that? God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.